Welcome to the Unlocked Crypto Podcast. This podcast is not financial advice. It's meant for entertainment purposes only. These are just the opinions of a couple of Bramble and Rex. All right, Hal, welcome to episode nine of Unblocking Crypto. Uh, this week, it should be kind of interesting. We're going to talk a little bit about um, getting into on-chain analytics. And you definitely have a lot more experience here, but I think there's a lot of good things to talk about in terms of everybody else and what to expect. So before we jump into that, though, let's talk about some of the, the news going on in the space. So I'll let you get started with that. All right. Uh, yeah, so... We mentioned a week or two ago that uh, Europe tried to sneak in some legislation in the EU that was going to ban proof of work mining, which is really these days kind of just Bitcoin mining. Um, so they they put the they put the language in the legislation. People got mad and uh, told them to take it out. The legislators took it out. Well, then like two days before the vote on Monday, so I, I guess that was Friday or Saturday. They put language back in to ban Bitcoin mining. And then so everybody's like, oh, man, this is like a momentum swing against Bitcoin over the weekend. And then Monday when they voted, it was like narrowly voted down. So to me, that's like that's a pretty big win for Bitcoin. Uh, we're two weeks deep into this uh, Ukrainian invasion by Russia and this energy shock that's that's uh, hitting Europe. So the. The claim is that Bitcoin mining is a waste of energy. The environment is super expensive, natural gas and oil, and uh, they're able to still vote against proof of work mining in that environment. That's a good thing uh, for Bitcoin. Um, that you know, there's a lot of reasons why governments don't want to get out uh, of Bitcoin. The, mainly, you're stifling the innovation. There's opportunity there there's if you look across industries you know electric vehicles have growth crypto has growth i think like the super bowl commercials are an indicator of that like every freaking commercial was either electric vehicles or, or crypto and so governments don't want to exclude themselves because uh there's a there's game theory there if you're the first one uh like if, if europe says okay we're out well that's just going to push people to europe or i'm sorry push people to the united states or into other countries that are, are more friendly to Bitcoin, uh, El Salvador and, and places like that. So uh, again, it's just good signal. Um, the uh, further, uh, like more closer to home in the United States, uh, Cynthia Loomis, who is like the Bitcoin senator, uh, she's very outspoken pro-Bitcoiner. Um, she's pushing a state, uh, a Senate bill that will have that $600 capital gains exemption that we talked about about half of the podcast um, <laughs> that I think is important to get people to actually use Bitcoin. Like buying Bitcoin is easy. Getting, using Bitcoin to buy things is not easy. Um, everything's a, a taxable event. So it's, it kind of stinks to like somebody buys your lunch, you pay them back in Bitcoin. You got to write that down and track it because, okay, well, what's, what's my tax procedure as far as first in first out last in first out you know and this fifteen dollars i just paid this guy what's what's my taxable event on that um all that stuff disappears with a six hundred dollar de minimis uh tax exemption so if you could do that if that can get through the fact that it's just getting pushed is pretty good right it's still early you got i think the um the executive order from biden had uh 16% of Americans are exposed into crypto. So, you know, there's 50 million people. Um, that's enough, right? That, uh, 82 million wins you the presidential election. So 50 million is a substantial number of, of Americans. Uh, so we're looking at starting to get a little bit of pressure to get some things done. Once people can spend a little Bitcoin and use it to buy goods and services, then... Merchants start to see why they need to get into Bitcoin and the, the game theory can just just evolve. Um, and then when the more people use it, the more they realize they don't have to do things like my wife did this week, which is, oh, you don't have cash app and you want to give money to this person that only has PayPal. Well, send me the money and then I'll send them. You send it to me in Venmo and I'll send it to, or cash app and I'll send it to them in in PayPal because none of those systems interoperate because they're siloed 
uh, dollar IOUs when uh, two years from now, they'll all plug into the Bitcoin network and they'll all talk to each other and they'll all transfer value through Bitcoin without, and then you can send your PayPal money through to Venmo and they don't care. Like it, it just, it'll work. It'll work like the lightning network. So the closer we get to that, the better. Um, so th I feel like, yeah, these are, these are like little, uh, these are like little seeds being planted, right? I mean, it still takes time. It's not like the bill passed, uh, but it's, it's, it's progress. It's like legitimate government progress. Yeah. So that's funny. My wife, I found out this week, the same thing that she's been helping transfer money from Venmo to cash app and back and forth between people. And I'm like, what, what is going on here? Um, but to tie into a couple other things you said, so Russia, Ukraine, I know one of the, the Credit Suisse short-term interest rate guys came out and said, because of this whole thing going on, money is never going to be the same. And while Bitcoin has kind of been called this uh, gold 2.0 type asset, um, it almost is more looking like a reserve 3.0 asset with just all the restrictions that Russia's had put on there. Um, so he thinks that um, after this war, whatever you want to call it, is over, that money is going to be uh, completely different. And he kind of calls it a, a new world order, new world monetary order. Uh, and he said that Bitcoin, if it's still around <laughs> at that point, uh, will probably benefit from all this. And I, I don't think I have any doubt that Bitcoin will be still around because I don't know how you get rid of it at this point. Um, but that was kind of interesting to hear. Um, the other thing on my end too, we talked about eBay a few weeks ago and now they've just come out and said they're looking into um, installing a digital wallet, which even pushes them more into the crypto space to get in involved in that space. And then um, before you jump from yeah. from eBay. Um, so I just mentioned the executive order that Biden came out with and realized that like, that came out with like on Tuesday or uh, Wednesday. So we haven't talked about that uh, as far as news. <laughs> and we pro definitely should talk about that. So uh, let me let me just tag that on before you jump into your next piece. Um, so it, Biden comes out with an executive order. Um, Essentially, it's it's kind of what we talked about. Uh, it's how government operates. <clears throat> Basically, uh, he wants different government organizations to d develop reports to say, hey, this is what Bitcoin's, how it's going to impact us. Uh, EPA's in it, security's in it, um, finances in it. The SEC was not in it, uh, <laughs> which is weird. Um, uh, the SEC's been super weird about Bitcoin in general. Uh, they've just, but the government just moves so slow. Um, the, the time frames for getting these reports back to the white house, uh, were anywhere from 180 days to a full year, which based on our conversations every week where we have like fairly every few weeks, it's like huge news in Bitcoin, uh, putting together a report in 180 days is stupid because if you don't talk, if you don't put a report together every week or every month, your uh, the things that you did in the beginning of your research are obsolete like they're just they're gone so uh, you know like in a in a year el salvador went from uh having the dollar as, as legal tender to having bitcoin as legal tender and they're gonna release a bitcoin bond that's never been thought of before and that will be done in march so that's within a year <laughs> They, they've actually done all this in a year. The U.S. government's going to uh, provide a report about Bitcoin in various ways. So uh, it's just one of those things where just the government moves so slow. Bitcoin moves so fast. Uh, crypto moves really fast. So this um, <laughs> it's it's just it's just the federal government. Um, but it was pretty positive. There were lines in there talking about the United States needs to be on the on the forefront of. Uh, of innovation, um, the the things you want to hear as like setting the tone for, hey, I want you to develop a report. Oh, by the way, the United States needs to be in the lead. <laughs> it's like, hey, uh, we want you to run this experiment. Here's a bunch of money to run the experiment so that so that this uh, this drug's successful. We're looking forward to your results, right? Um, so I, I think uh, I think. I felt I viewed it as a very net positive. There is some discussion in there about climate. Um, that's always there. And I think in a year's time, 
things will be better from a climate standpoint too, uh, as mining becomes more efficient. And a lot of mining is understanding, oh, there's a ton of cheap energy out there. And when I use it, the cheapest energy is the energy that's wasted the most. So it's, it's from a climate standpoint, it's, it's impact is, uh, is pretty minimal to take methane flaring off of a natural gas, um, production facility. And instead of just incinerating and flaring it in the environment, you run it through a gas turbine and uh, generate power and make Bitcoin mine uh, or mine Bitcoin. So to me, pretty positive. Um, so yeah, that's, uh, that was worth talking about. Sorry to interrupt. No, it's still amazing to me that the SEC isn't part of that, right? I mean, the, the guy that's enforcing all of these things, especially right now with even things like Ripple and uh, BlockFi and uh, telling people they can't do this and to make sure that U.S. customers are protected. I just don't understand the reason they're not involved or maybe they're going to stifle innovation. So they're getting other people to get, get involved. I'm not sure. I don't know, but the, the SEC currently is allowed Bitcoin futures ETF. They have uh, like three X bull and bear Russian stock market ETFs. Like they have leveraged ETFs into oil. They've got, I mean, you're going to, how are you going to protect investors? Like the, every every day, nickel pops two hundred percent, and then the next day it's wheat, and then the next day, like there's volatility is the name of the game for a long time, uh, and so Bitcoin has been pretty freaking stable relative to wheat and copper and nickel. Yeah, and what's crazy is they just turned down a couple more Bitcoin spot ETFs too. Right, so, right. Uh, very frustrating. But anyway, so we'll get off of that soapbox. The other thing, too, um, that I wanted to chat about was that we had about 30,000 Bitcoin leave Coinbase in the past week. And I think that's a really interesting discussion that kind of leads us into our, our next discussion, which is on-chain analytics and what that means. And, I mean, 30,000 uh, Bitcoin, when it leaves the exchange, it's not tradable for anybody else. So when you start talking about supply stock, how much is actually left out there, that makes... It's, it's a good news for those people wanting the Bitcoin price to increase, right? So Yeah, yeah. and I, I, I saw something where, well, the level of Bitcoin on exchanges is approximately where it was uh, in the 2017 bull bear, like in that kind of mania that we had um, around that 2017, early 2018, which a lot of Bitcoin has hit the market through mining since then. So that's a lot of Bitcoin that's just being absorbed uh, into, into, on, uh, into wallets. Sure. Um, so, uh, so talking about on-chain analytics before, before we get the, the um, cart in front of the horse. So really what it is, you know, we talk about Bitcoin, it's, a, it's an open ledger. It keeps track of addresses and how much Bitcoin is in each address and when they transact it and move it to other addresses. And so what that, because it's an open ledger, it allows basically data mining. So uh, a couple companies, Glassnode, uh, CryptoQuant, there's probably a few more. Glassnode is the one that I, is on my radar the most. Um, what they do is they aggregate that data. So they, they pull in that information, they look and see which addresses are just sitting tight and don't make any moves, which addresses move a lot, which addresses have more Bitcoin in them. Uh, you know, if you have a thousand or more Bitcoin, you're considered a whale. Um, and then over time, based on the behavior of those wallets, Glassnode identifies some of the wallets as exchange wallets. So they'll make a note that this is a Binance wallet or this is a Coinbase wallet. So that's kind of how you, the, the data can show you, oh, 30,000 Bitcoin just got pulled off of Coinbase in the last month. Or, oh, in the last six months, 150,000 Bitcoin has been pulled off of all the exchanges. So that information is like the, the, the kind of the tip of the iceberg for analyzing on-chain analytics. So on-chain meaning it's actually on the blockchain. Uh, when, when wallets, when, I'm sorry, when, when transactions occur on an exchange like Coinbase or Binance or anything, 
they are not moving that moving those coins around on chain. They're doing it with their own internal processes. So if I'm on Coinbase, I, I exchange U.S. dollars for Bitcoin. That I do not have a wallet with an address with private and public keys. So this is where people get into like it's not your keys, not your coin, because basically Coinbase has an IOU in their ledger that says, oh, this guy bought 0.01 Bitcoin. We effectively owe him 0.01 Bitcoin. We're not going to pay the transaction fees to to actually perform the on-chain transaction. We're just going to keep note of it. Also, you know, we're in exchange. So people are some people buy and sell and buy and sell and try to beat the market. And so why keep paying those fees and erode Coinbase's profits when they can just keep track of it because they don't they don't need to own a Bitcoin that's just getting bounced around ten times. They can just know that it's gonna bounce around. Well, so, and they're still taking the profits for the people that are exchanging on their own exchange, right? So, I mean, it, the, the profits, they're just not giving it back to the Bitcoin network. They're keeping it all in-house. Correct. And they should because they would get eaten up by transaction fees and they would be clogging up the Bitcoin network with mm-hmm. all of these meaningless transactions uh, where, you know, these a lot of people on exchanges are just constantly trading. I don't know. I, the, once it's on the exchange, it's like behind a behind the wall on chain analytics. You can't see what's going on in the exchanges, so you can't see. Oh man, look at all these people that are buying and never selling, but they just keep their Bitcoin on the exchange and they don't pull it off onto a a, a wallet on their phone or a hardware device uh, or a paper wallet. They just the, the exchanges are pretty simple. They look a lot like traditional uh, finance, like when you log into your bank account and your checking account. Coinbase looks kind of sort of similar to that. They look a lot like uh, the brokerage accounts like TD Ameritrade and E-Trade. So people are just more and more comfortable with that side. I think that as people increase their Bitcoin holding or their Bitcoin holding appreciates against the dollar, they're going to be like, man, this is kind of getting big. I need to go ahead and spend the 80 bucks or whatever on a, on a hardware device. I'm going to figure out how to take custody of it and I'm going to, you know, these Bitcoin guys keep telling me this is the way to go. So far, they've told everything they've told me is right. Uh, okay, I'm going to go ahead and pull it off and I'm going to take ownership of this and I'm going to back up my seed phrase and do all the things um, that you do for self-custody. And at that point, when that money, when those coins come off the exchange and they go onto that person's wallet, now you're on chain. Now you use the Bitcoin network to transact. Uh, you've got your public key the amount of Bitcoin, and now Glassnode can see you. And that and that Glassnode will identify you as um, a short-term holder, okay? So one of the more useful pieces of this is short-term holders versus long-term holders. Bitcoin is kind of, it's a weird thing because you want to own it and not sell it. Uh, there are a lot of people that think because Bitcoin goes up and down, it's real easy. You just sell it when it's low or you sell it when it's high and you buy when it's low and you just keep doing that and then you win. Uh, it's not easy, right? So uh, so you've got short-term holders and these guys are constantly trying to increase their Bitcoin holding without adding more US dollars. They're trying to sell high, buy low, do that a few times and then uh, increase their Bitcoin holding. Then you've got other, so like if you hold Bitcoin for five months and, and it doesn't move, your, your address is tagged as a long-term holder. There's, a, there's just data that shows if you make it five months holding Bitcoin, you're way less likely to sell. Um, so there are these ways that people identify, hey, this guy's, a, this guy's, you know, he's kind of a retail investor. He's, you know, he's got less than a Bitcoin. He falls into this category. Well, these people are one to 10 Bitcoin holders. They're in this category. You know, 10 to 50, 50 to 100, 100 to 1,000, and 1,000 to 10,000, and then 10,000 and up. They all behave kind of differently. And they, you know, let's say it's Bitcoin. So there's always some cutesy name like, you know, you're a shrimp if you're a little holder, you're a whale if you're a big holder. Um, So it's, you know, so that way there's emojis and memes that you can create. You can't really do that if you call them like uh, less than one Bitcoin holders. But if you call them a shrimp, now you can, you know, do a GIF about shrimp. So, uh, so that's kind of how it works. So once you start to put these different wallets into buckets, 
and they start, you can start to see their behavior as different. Once, once they start to behave differently than their norm, it kind of indicates something's changing in the bullishness or bearishness of the market. Um, we talked about 30,000 Bitcoin comes off the exchange. So if you see, you know, they, so you can click a chart that says uh, exchange movement or, or something similar to that, depending on what, what site you're looking at. You can see, oh man, Bitcoin is just steadily coming off exchanges. People are buying Bitcoin on exchanges and they're pulling it off. That's really good if you're looking for price to increase. Uh, two reasons. One, it shows you that there's demand for people to pull Bitcoin off the exchange. So they're buying it on the exchange and they're pulling it off. So demand begets demand in Bitcoin world. So the more people that are talking about it, that are using it, that are doing things, the more people will start. Um, so with a fixed supply or mostly fixed supply, um, as demand goes up, price goes up. So it's, it's pretty simple. The other piece to that is there's when people move Bitcoin into addresses, if a lot of that's going into long-term holders that aren't going to sell it, they're not just going to, okay, well, a month later, I'm going to flip it back on the exchange and sell it. I'm, you know, I made my 5%. I'm happy. You know, these long-term holders are like, look, I'm, I listen to these guys. They say, just hold it for four or five years, right? Like just get your exposure and lock it in and, and move on and maybe accumulate along the way. Um, as those coins come off, now your marginal amount of coin that's for sale on the exchanges gets smaller and smaller. So that's what's setting the price, right? Is the next guy. What's the next guy's price that he'll sell at? So if you have less and less coins on exchanges, you have less and less of that next guy looking to sell. So you're more likely to see a price increase. These things swing back and forth. So you'll, you'll see on chain that exchange, uh, Bitcoin's coming off exchanges and then the price will go the other way. Maybe there's some macro news that popped up. There's some, something's going on somewhere that causes a little bit of a price dip. Well, some of the, the short-term holders, well, they'll flood their, their Bitcoin back onto the exchanges and sell it to protect their capital against, uh, against a big dip. Um, so on-chain analytics is not perfect. Um, the, another piece to talk about is supply shock. So this is one of the things that, that one of the guys came up with. So I don't, I don't actually like have a glass node account. I listen to some guys that analyze the data and they spend basically all day doing it and they work for like Bitcoin magazine or they work for themselves. Um, like Will Clemente got into on-chain analytics. He's a young guy, but he, he analyzes charts well. And uh, this other guy named Willie Wu, who's a New Zealander, which I don't know if that's his real name or not, but Bitcoiners tend to be a little private. Um, so the Will Clemente kid came up with the supply shock ratio where he took long-term holders and short-term holders and he took that ratio. And so you could see like on an oscillator, if, uh, if the long, t if more coins are in long-term holders hands, then you've got short-term holders on exchanges, which means you're going to see price drop, right? If you, so it's, um, based on how you analyze this data, you can kind of get an indication of, oh, uh, short-term holders are, are putting money on, putting Bitcoin into their wallets. Like it's coming off exchanges into short-term holders hands. All right, so now we know what to look for on uh, on on price. So there's a ton of acronyms and a ton of different things to look at. Um, the value of those things is the is getting longer and longer term, right? Because we've got derivatives markets uh, that are really pushing price around uh, the. The on-chain analytics is just not indicative of price. I think it does help you set bottoms and tops, um, or at least give you some indicator of oversold and undersold, but or oversold and overbought. But it's just there's a lot of noise that that happens now, especially as more and more people come on board. You know, we've only gone. 
I think there's 40 million addresses that have greater than one U.S. dollar worth of Bitcoin in it right now. So 40 million addresses, but they estimate there's over 200 million Bitcoin users. So a lot, like three quarters of, of users of the network are not shown on chain. So their behavior may be similar to what we're seeing on chain. But if you're doing off, off chain transactions, there's really no visibility to it. You don't really know. Um, so some of the things uh, that I was listening to these guys, these on chain analytics guys talk is their on chain stuff isn't working as well as it used to because you don't have these hardcore Bitcoiners, these highly technical guys that got into Bitcoin early. You know, they're only representing a smaller, a smaller and smaller portion of uh, of the of the network dynamics. So it's becoming more of a, hey, this, it's a real clear signal. We got, we see this happening on chain instead of, yeah, it's starting to drift a little bit. Like little moves on chain don't really indicate what's going to happen now. Um, so the, I've subscribed to a newsletter, um, Willie's newsletter. And he's actually, he said, look, I'm not going to charge for it anymore. We're, you know, I'm going to go back to kind of Twitter free content, analyzing the data and, um, you know, we're, 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 I'm going to focus on other things because they just, they didn't think that the value was there for, uh, for trade indicators. And so that's how this works, right? Like Bitcoin's growing, it's adopting, it's changing. Uh, so as it kind of shifts into the next phase, some of the things that used to work don't work anymore. Uh, and I mean, it's, it's just like what we saw in the, in the price in this, you know, if you look at cycles or you believe in the cycles, you know, it, it's supposed to ramp up and go crazy and then slam back down. And everybody expected it. Oh, we're going to have $250,000 Bitcoin, you know, by the end of 2021. And guess what happened? It hit like a top at 64, went back down to the 30s, went back up to 69, back down to the 30s. And it's like n nobody, I, I saw zero people predicting like a double top and then a retraction by about, you know, 40%. That was zero people predicted it because we're just doing new stuff now. There's more people. There's more dampening. China man, uh, banned Bitcoin mining like right in the heat of that uh, that initial ramp up into the 60s. And so, uh, you know, you, you can't predict Bitcoin price. I don't I don't advise anybody trying to jump into Bitcoin, you know, after a week of research, thinking that they're going to beat these guys that have been trading Bitcoin for 10 years. Um you know, the move is buy when you think things are good. Right now we're in the 30s. Um, you know, on-chain on chain shows that the, the second greatest uh, price point where Bitcoin has been moved on-chain is between thirty-eight dollars and $39,000 of Bitcoin. So like 4.5% of all the supply is moved between thirty-eight dollars and $39,000 of Bitcoin. The, the highest is 5.2% of supply. That was moved at uh, between three and $4,000 of Bitcoin. So we're probably not going to see three to $4,000 of Bitcoin again. So from several years from now, we will likely not see the thirty-eight dollars to $39,000 of Bitcoin price. There's a lot of people that have that. That's their, that's their cost basis. That's, that's, or at least, an influencer in their cost basis as they've dollar cost averaged in. And so that's, that's a huge level of support is, is in the high thirties. And honestly, that's what we've seen. Like it's, it's been tough for Bitcoin to get down to the mid thirties. Yeah. So I think it's, so let me try to recap a lot of what you just said, because you threw out a ton of information for people there. The way that I understood what you just said was that on-chain analytics um, has only about 25% of all the transactions or maybe even less than that of all the transaction, transactions that are happening, 25% of the people, I guess, maybe not even the transactions, probably a lot less on the transactions perspective. I would um, say so, something something like that. Like it's, it, you know, it's real tough to tell. Uh, but yeah, I mean, it's, it's that's that's kind of what I'm getting. Yeah, so, so it's a very small percentage of the overall transactions just because there are so many people, so few people that are actually on chain and they're all on these centralized exchanges. Um, but the information that is on the actual blockchain can be accessed using on-chain data, data analytics. And while in the past that might have been super useful, times are changing, 
and it's probably not going to be a day-to-day thing that is very useful to help people time the market. But long-term, it can still point um, you in the right direction, right? And it's and it's probably not a single uh, perspective that you need to look at, but there's multiple views to look at to say, all right, we're probably in a good spot or we're probably in a bad spot and things are going to either get better or turn worse. And that's kind of, I guess, what you're saying right now is that um, the last time we had a huge amount of Bitcoin traded in a, in a small area was right before it popped from that three or four K up to I think 20 K at that point. Um, well, I don't know about that, but it, it may be that that's an area where Bitcoin just con- you know, it spent a lot of time in. Yep. So you see a lot of people had an opportunity to buy in that window. And of the people that bought in that window, a lot of those coins came off the exchanges and, and into hardware wallets. Um, so, and, and, and remains there today, right? That's, that's, uh, that's not, that's net exchanges. That's not gross, right? So the money coming off exchanges, the Bitcoin coming off exchanges at 38 to $39,000 of Bitcoin, that's still there. Um, that's kind of, uh, you're right. I blew through that really quickly for people that are like, this is brand new information for <laughs> That's, that was that was pretty intense. Um, and I'm trying to dumb it down a little bit for me too, right? I mean, the way that I look at it is at 3K, it popped up to 20K and then came back down to hit 3K again and then went up to 60K, 60 plus K. And now it's kind of come back and it keeps almost bouncing off this 37 to 39K-ish level that you were talking about or close to that, right? Right. So, but I mean, like if you remember... You know, when Elon Musk announced that Tesla had Bitcoin on the balance sheet, it went from like 33 to 38, like at 2 a.m., like instantly. Yeah. And so, you know, we we kind of went through that, but we've, we've kind of bounced into those 30s. We did it on the way up, and then we went down in the summer of 2021, and then we kind of hung out there for months, it felt like. And then we ramped back up out of the 30s, and then we didn't come back down for a few months. And then we, we, you know, we kind of hang out in that area. So what that is, so this is, so this is where on chain, it's like, man, that 38 to $39,000 range is a pretty solid point. People have bought it there. They're happy to own it there. They aren't selling just like these people that bought it the three to $4,000 range. They bought it there. They put it in their cold storage. They're happy to keep it. They're not selling it. So, when you're talking about uh, people aren't selling their Bitcoin at that price, that means buyers have to bid higher in order to get Bitcoin, in order to convince someone else to sell their Bitcoin. So that's why it starts to develop this level of support in in the high 30s. Um, and if you look if you look from like a technical analysis standpoint, you can kind of draw a line where we dipped into in the summer of last year where in between the two, the two humps into the sixties, it bottomed out. Now it dipped to like 29,000, like briefly in that, in that area, but it, it did not hang out in the twenties, right? The th- people were buying in the thirties and were happy to buy from people that wanted to sell in the thirties for months. So we developed, we developed a lot of support from a technical analysis standpoint and an on-chain analysis that the thirties is like, it's building a kind of a floor there. Um, that doesn't mean you can't break through that floor, but there's a lot of people that have moved, that have moved those coins off, uh, off of exchanges. And like I said, there's some, something to, once you move coins off the exchange, once you've held them for five months, I don't know if there's a psychological piece because it's like, okay, these are mine. I don't really want to let them go. Like I've had them for this long, or if it's, the people that have moved those coins into those addresses are like, I'm just accumulating Bitcoin. I'm not trying to, I'm not trying to trade and sell Bitcoin, whichever one it is. It kind of doesn't matter. The data says once it's been in an address for five months, it's probably not coming out. So guess what? Like all of the coins that came in in the thirties in last year are at the five month range. Right. So we're, we're in March now. So they're, probably not going to sell. They're less likely to sell. So that's how you start to, 
like this is kind of a good case study as developing a investment thesis around on-chain analytics and tying it to some technical analysis as like as like a backup. Um, so, so that's so, the kind of thing that that some people are doing. Like some people are just like, time to buy. I like it. Buy it. Buy it. Fine. Pure some motion. Like every, every yep. Like smash buy. Uh, like oh man. Uh, you know uh, some good news about Bitcoin. Buy it. Um, and some people are like, you know what? Every Monday, I'm buying my hundred bucks, no matter what. Or every payday, I'm you know some some of mine. And so it doesn't matter what the price is. They're buying. Um, so, and so it, dollar cost averaging, like, good. So, so dollar cost averaging is great, um, but I, I guess so. I, I wanted to kind of tie it back to the on-chain um, analytics. A lot of this, you can follow some of the so-called experts like Will Clemente or Willie Wu that have been spending a lot of time in this. Um, but it's also accessible to you and I, and that's like Glassnode and CryptoQuant. All this data is out there. Um, some of it for free. I think you have to pay for stuff that's more kind of up to date, but you can find stuff that's a little farther back. Um, but what I would kind of love to do from here is with all this information, what can you and I do or, or the, someone listening to this? Um, what, what can they go look at and what's going to be worthwhile? Cause there's so much data that comes with all of that. Right. So where are the important things to focus on it? And is there just a small handful that they need to look at or, do they really need to completely understand everything that um, the analytics companies are giving us access to? It's kind of tough to say because things change so much. And, and like things that used to work four years ago, they're, they're not working on the same, to the same degree that they worked before. Um, there's, there's some pretty useful stuff. Um, if you go to, uh, Woonomics, he has all of his charts. Um, he's got, I think the still useful charts are his floor model, which is like rare, rarely does the price drop below the floor. Um, his floor model is, it, it takes on-chain analytics and then he has effectively a coefficient that he adds to drop that trend line down to a point that it, it, it's crossed like twice. Right. In the summer of last year was one of them. Um, that to me is like, hey, we're we're pretty close to the floor. So this would be indicative that it might be a good time. Like if if I have a windfall, if I inherit some money and I have a belief that Bitcoin's price is about to take off. Then I'm not inclined to be like, OK, well, I'll take this money. I'll dollar cost average it every week for the next year. Well, if I think that next year the Bitcoin price is going to be double what it is today, maybe I want to adjust so that a portion of this gets dumped into the market at, a, at what I view as a good time. And the other portion, I dollar cost average in and I don't have to think about it. Maybe it works for me in my favor. Maybe it doesn't. But, uh, you know, that's um, do the dollar cost averaging method is is a good way to protect yourself from your emotional decision. So when you go on and you look at, at some of these analytics, the closer you are to like, if you want to just be at like a basic level, if you're close to the if you're close to the ceiling trend line, which is a, a multiplier on a different uh, on a different metric, if you're close to the ceiling, like damn, maybe it's not a good time to buy relative to uh, previous prices. Now, that's hard to say, right? Because $18,000 or let's say $19,000 Bitcoin in uh, on the beginning of that run up looked like a really bad time to buy because it had ramped up so quickly that it was kind of approaching the top line. So it's like, man, this doesn't look like a good time to buy. But $18,000 and $20,000 was a weird time because we blew through that price and never really came back. Right. So um it's pretty tough to it's pretty tough to be like yep now's a good time to buy now's now's a bad time to buy that, I, I, like i've i've been burned on that enough that i'm like I, I don't think i would advise playing that game because when things are going when things are ramping up you can you can buy i mean if you bought the dead top of 2017 18 and you bought $19,000 you feel great right now and we're at the we're at the support level uh of this run up so 
um, it all depends on your time horizon and everything else. But if, if you, if you go and you look at some charts in his floor model and there's, there's several other, um, uh, what I would say would be like bottom indicators. And if, if it's close to several of those and you, you kind of like the sentiment and everything else, you know, it'd be a good time to buy. Um, I wouldn't advise dumping everything. Yeah. 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 Uh, his, his websites, um, We'll include that in the show links, hopefully. Um, yeah. yeah, so I, I know this is definitely not something that I um, know enough about to, to be deemed an expert, but I do have a crypto, crypto quant and Glassnode account that I can go access. Um, some of the things that I, I guess I've seen on my end were things like the um, market value, MR, MVRB, market value to realize value. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and those guys will typically a lot of them are kind of pushing you to sign up for their service because their free service is the one usually one alert and their paid service is like five alerts. And that paid service is in that 29 to $39 per month range, depending on whether you pay for a month or a year. Um, but you're typically going to want multiple alerts like we're talking about, right? So it's not, it's, it's hard to base it off one chart and know that, that chart's going to be accurate every single time. So uh, market value to realize value is one. Um, the NUPL net uh, unrealized profit and loss, right? So that's de- determining whether or not um, people are sitting on profit or loss on their coins. Uh, if they bought it five months ago, it's at 30K and it's 38K and it's still at 38K, then there's not really a lot of profit or loss. So um, that's typically going to be pretty low. And then the long-term holder and uh, spent output profit ratio, SOPR, is another one. So those are just a few that I saw. And I mean, for me, I can set one of those alerts and then go and look at the other ones when something pops up, um, just because I have the free account. And it, it almost, I don't know if it makes sense for a lot of people to, to pay the money when they're just getting started. Um, and does it, I mean, I mean, I guess you are, a lot of this is it's, the free accounts have 24 hours or further back that they're looking. Um, so most of this, if we're looking at a long-term perspective, 24 hours doesn't really matter. I mean, most a lot of time the price is going to stay in a general area for a short, at least a short amount of time. It doesn't get there for five minutes and leave completely, right? Yeah. Um, so I think if you're just getting started, like, open up the pipelines to convert us dollars into bitcoin like the first i would say figure out what you're going to put in to bitcoin and then put a little bit in like market buy just do it once right because if you've never done it you're not going to put in half of like if things start to run and you get emotional like you're not going to you're not going to just be like okay i'm gonna i'm gonna go ahead and do it but like just open up that pipeline buy a hundred bucks or you know buy 10 or 5% of whatever you're going to put, um, invest into Bitcoin, open up the channels, get used to using it, right? Log in, log out, watch the numbers go up and down, feel. I don't really watch the price unless it's like running up or down, but the emotions you feel when things are going away from you is awful. Like if you are, if you're heavy into Bitcoin and it goes down, it really stinks. And it makes you want to sell Bitcoin. It makes you want to be like, I'm out. Go ahead and start feeling that stuff and realize, oh man, it's came back. It's no big deal. That was yesterday. Like I'd signed up for volatility. Oh yeah, that's right. They told me that this is going to be a kind of a wild ride relative to, uh, you know, buying my S and P 500 index, uh, ETF. Right. So, okay. Okay. I'm on a wild ride. Got it. It's like, okay, it's a hundred bucks. Right now it's down to 80. Well, now it's 120. Well, now it's down to 75. It's like, oh, okay. This, it, this is the wild ride that I'm on. I'm now it's at 120. All right. I'll, let me, let me, I got the channels open up. I already know how to buy Bitcoin. Let me buy another little bit more. Let me buy a little bit more. Okay. This is crazy. I just need to buy a hundred bucks every paycheck, whatever. I'm not going to think about it anymore. Or I kind of like this, but. Okay, I'm gonna do I'm gonna do my dollar cost averaging, but every time I get like my tax returns coming in, I'm gonna put it into Bitcoin. Um, 
I want to be a little bit more intelligent about my selection of my entry price and I, I want to get it in now. Okay. Well, there's on-chain analytics, there's technical analysis. Um, there's ways that I, that you can kind of pick spots um, to buy on and look at them, try to learn them. Like while you're, while you're kind of doing your dollar cost average thing, figure it out. Like, like if you go, so, uh, so I did look at, uh, Willie Wu's website while you're talking about this. It's charts.woobull.com. Charts with an S, W O O B U L L.com. Just Google it, it'll pop up. He's got so many, so many charts, with, and each chart's got multiple, um, multiple models that you can kind of toggle on and off when you click on them. Uh, you know, you come in here, he's got an explanation for each, uh, for each one. He's got an explanation, you know, so you can kind of. Like everything in Bitcoin, you got to teach yourself, right? If you wait for somebody to teach you something, uh, you're never nobody's nobody's out there teaching this stuff, right? Like this is as good. This is kind of thing is as good as it gets. But you're coming here, man. It's got a paragraph for each one of his models, how it ties into the on-chain um, the on-chain analytics, and then you can start to you can look back at the chart over the last several years see how that model works and see how much it lags price and things like that. And you can get a feel for, okay, let's, this looks pretty good. Like, Oh man, this, this floor model has really never been broken. Uh, yeah, this is, uh, we're getting close to it. So it's probably a good time to buy or man, we're really close to the top. There's a good chance this thing comes back down. Uh, I'll just let my dollar cost averaging thing go and I'll, I'll wait for a dip and right buy the dip. Right. So it's, um, you know, this is part of that hundred hours that you got to spend in Bitcoin to kind of start getting good at it. But it, you know, you, you don't need to do on-chain analytics to understand Bitcoin. Uh, this is like more of an investment entry-level point selection. Um, I don't recommend trading Bitcoin, especially based on on-chain analytics. But uh, but yeah, it's 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 useful. There's, it, I think, one of the more useful things for somebody new is like, oh. There's people that have been doing this forever that know these things inside and out. I've been doing this for a month. I'm probably not going to come in and show these cats how to make money in Bitcoin, right? So uh, it, it, it's kind of humbling to see, oh, there's a lot of people out here that are really deep into the numbers. I think two things worth mentioning is it's, the way that I look at on-chain analytics is you want to follow the smartest people in the rooms, right? And most likely there's there's two people that, or two groups of people that are are probably making some really good decisions. One is the whales that have tons of crypto and they're paying attention to it uh, very closely because they have so much money. So when they start selling or they start buying, those are two really good things to understand when those time periods are happening. And the second one is the miners, right? So we talked about this before. Some of the miners are, are holding their Bitcoin and selling it when they need to. Um, when you start seeing miners selling a lot, it probably means there's a good chance they think a top is in and it's about to to drop some. Um, if miners aren't selling at all, they expect Bitcoin to go up. So those two groups are probably two that are worth following. And I have a feeling almost everybody out there is paying attention to that as well, uh, or all the, the big guys. So leverage the expertise of other people. And then what, like you said, Hal, it's, it's worth learning on your own at the same time. Yeah, yeah. There's an interesting thing I read, and I'm going to get these numbers wrong, but it, it kind of doesn't matter. Um, you know, every day, 900 Bitcoin are mined. On average, every day, 3,000 Bitcoin are pulled off exchanges. So, we're the the, the philosophy of Bitcoin uh, having a disinflationary um, mining protocol, so that the amount of Bitcoin that's released into the network is decreasing over time while the demand increases. Like we're, you're kind of seeing that. And that was over, that was over a long period of time. That was over like six months, I think. So for six months, three times as many Bitcoin are being pulled out of the network as are being added to it. So that's, that's like the macro good stuff that you can pull from these analytics where it's like, yeah, okay. Like, I should feel good about Bitcoin. Bitcoin should have some good years ahead of it. <laughs> like, uh, like I don't, I've kind of gotten so, I've done like the normal Bitcoin curve where 
you are jumping it and you're kind of buy and sell it and you get into altcoins and you do all this stuff. And then you're like, crap, man, my Bitcoin, my, all my altcoins sucked compared to what Bitcoin did. So like, okay, fine. This one, this one jumped a little, I'm going to sell it and get into Bitcoin. And now it's like, I don't even look at the price. I'm just like, yep, this is good news. All right. Yep. That, that's good news. Uh, I, and yeah, I think in four years, Bitcoin's going to be doing really well. I pay more attention to like what's going on with Russian, like the Russian foreign exchange reserves and how that impacts Bitcoin than I do looking at the Bitcoin price. So it's like, that's a, that's a slow moving indicator. If the U S dollar starts to lose reserve status to other currencies, because that opens up a tiny crack in a tiny door that Bitcoin can start to start to kind of will its way in there in the discussion. It can't, right? It's not liquid enough. It's not big enough. A trillion dollar market cap is not enough to get into like a sovereign wealth level of, of um, reserve currency. But like, it's also 12 years old or 13 years old. It's like, you know, it's a middle schooler. It's not, it's not going to take over the world. But like, I got a long runway, you know? I'm like 40, so I can wait. Uh, so it's, it, Bitcoin feels like get, get rich quick, but it's really a slow, like long-term play. Yeah. Well, I, so I think this is probably a good time to start to wrap up a little bit here. The main takeaway for most people here is going to be there's a ton of information out there for you. Um, whether or not you need it to start in Bitcoin, it, you probably don't need it to start, um, but it's worth learning along the way. And it can be helpful. Um, just be careful on on what you pay attention to because there's so much information and there's so much noise that you can you can probably get drowned pretty quickly. Yeah. Uh, so anything you want to leave with prior to us signing off, Al? No, I think uh, if you're curious, Bitcoin's neat because you're cur- if you're curious about this on chain analytic stuff, there's you can spend tons of time learning about it. Like nobody ever. Uh, it's not nobody was ever penalized for learning stuff, right? So if you're interested, learn it. If you're in, if you're not, there's other things about Bitcoin that you've got to find interesting. Um, you know, learn about that stuff, and you know, put this stuff on the back burner and and go learn about technical analysis or go learn about um, you know how the network works or whatever. You know, there's there's a million different ways to do it. And if this doesn't interest you, listen to it on two x speed, burn through it, and and find something that does. Yeah. Cool. Well, thanks for uh, all the insights into on-chain analytics and uh, look forward to talking to you next week. All right. Thanks, Jason. See you. Thanks for journeying down the crypto rabbit hole with us. If you're interested in learning more about crypto, please join our private Facebook group on Blocking Crypto. It's a small community discussing new ideas and just asking questions to learn more. Hope to interact with you there.